Hello and welcome to FilmWalk. This is Glenn. I am not here with Daniel this week. Unfortunately, Daniel was out sick this week, so he was forced to miss both our press screening of this week's film, uh, as well as tonight's recording session. We had conspired to perhaps do this as a scene-unseen style. He gives a little Q&A about the film, but uh, Knock at the Cabin, the new film from writer-director M. Night Shyamalan, with the screenplay written by Shyamalan, as well as Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman, based on The Cabin at the End of the World, a novel by Paul G. Tremblay. Uh, this film... I would say it is definitely a case of what you see is what you get. I think that uh, in light of Daniel falling ill and being unable to record tonight, what I thought I would do is just uh, kind of give a few bullet points of what I thought of this film. But stay tuned next week. Uh, We will be reviewing the films After Sun from last year. That's from director Charlotte Wells. And uh, we will also be reviewing a new film on Amazon Prime Video. We are still sorting out the screener for that. But uh, stay tuned next week. We will definitely have Daniel back for that. But now on to my review of Knock at the Cabin. Come inside right now. There were four of them. What do we say? You shouldn't make things up when we're talking about... Can you open the door, please? They're breaking in! I got you, baby. We're not here to hurt you. But you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. That was from the trailer of Knock at the Cabin, the new film from director M. Night Shyamalan, starring Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka Bird, and Kristen Quee. This film is about a family, Eric and Andrew, with their adoptive daughter, Wen, all on vacation together at a cabin in the woods, as many horror movies often begin. At the onset of the film, Wen is out front by herself, uh, playing with grasshoppers. She's collecting them in a jar, and she is monologuing very sweetly to them about how she just wants to study them for a little while. And all of a sudden, she is approached by Leonard, played by Dave Bautista. Leonard, we later find out, is a second-grade teacher, and it explains a little bit of the familiarity with which he approaches and speaks to this seven-year-old child. Uh, We are already somewhat aware that uh, this is an M. Night Shyamalan film. He is there for some sort of very specific and nefarious purpose, but in this moment, as he is introducing himself to Wen, he explains that he wants to be her friend, and he tells her that he is heartbroken about what he's going to have to do, and that he and his friends are going to have to be let into their cabin, uh, because there is a task that they will need to perform. And then his friends show up. His friends, uh, Sabrina, played by Nikki Amuka Bird, Redmond, played by Rupert Grint, and Adrian, played by Abby Quinn, and they are all carrying improvised apocalyptic weapons of the sort that Dave Bautista might have carried in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. And like in Army of the Dead, Dave Bautista is showing quite a bit more range than he has had an opportunity to show uh, in previous films. M. Night Shyamalan's brand for me personally is a filmmaker who will make movies that at minimum I will find interesting, whether I end up liking them or not. Pretty much ever since he released the movie Split, and to a lesser extent The Visit back in 2013, this is a director that I at least expected to find interesting in some way. But this film reminded me of something else that is intrinsic to M. Night Shyamalan's brand, and that is characters who speak subtext aloud, but are also completely and 100% committed to their performances. Whatever premise is going on, whether it's five people trapped in an elevator and one of them is the devil, or a film like this, where these four self-appointed priests and acolytes of unseen and unremarked-upon off-screen gods 
inform this family, this completely innocent family of strangers, that in order to save humanity from its sins, for which it will be judged, for which an apocalyptic event will descend upon the world and scour it clean of all life, except for the three of them, they must kill one member of their family. And just to keep it interesting, just to keep this trolley problem nice and allegorical, one of them cannot simply end their own life. One of them, that's to say one of the two fathers or their daughter, has to kill one of the others. And at no point will any of these four priests, they never call themselves priests, but I was happy thinking of them as such, harm any of them. Despite their freaky-looking weapons, they insist they will not do any violence upon any of the three that are vacationing in this house. They will simply watch and wait while humanity is judged one plague at a time. And in the manner of the court magicians in Pharaoh's court in the book of Exodus, they will wait and see whether these hearts remain hard and whether they will let their people go. Their people being all of humanity in this case. I know that's a bit of a rage, but I don't have Daniel here to keep me grounded. So bottom line, this is a movie where what you see is what you get. If you want a family to decide whether they are willing to kill one of their members in order to save humanity, and thus decide whether humanity is in fact worth saving, that is what you will get in this film. The trio of family members here, Eric and Andrew, uh, played by Ben Aldridge and Jonathan Groff, are particularly good at making their family life feel lived in, ordinary, and and very sweet. Uh, we see them in flashbacks, we see them having met each other, we see some of the homophobia to which they've been subjected over the years, and the four priests are quite insistent that when this plan was laid out for them in visions, they had no idea that uh, this family would be a same-sex couple and that this was not motivated by hatred and that they were not targeted in any specific way. And there is a bit of tension as to uh, the veracity of that statement over the course of the film, but that is about as far as the tension goes here. The movie is quite clear that the apocalypse is real, and the movie is quite clear that what these four are saying about it is also real, and that as this little game goes on, more and more of humanity will be killed in uh, elaborate off-screen ways, and those visual effects sequences and news reports were fairly entertaining in their own respect, but they also felt self-contained, and if there was any doubt as to which plague each one of them represented, they go ahead and spell themselves out as the four horsemen of the apocalypse before the film is over. They are all, by design, going to wipe out a small section of humanity, but leave potentially the bulk of it left for the grand finale. This film works because of its committed performances. The invaders as archetypes, as the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, was fairly obvious, but their performers were no less committed to it. But what is fascinating about these four as villains is that none of them really felt like they had agency. And they also spend virtually the entire film trying to persuade both the audience and the other characters that they have no agency, that they are as much hostages to what is going to happen to humanity as these three innocent people in this house are, and that they did not choose this. They are simply carrying out the will of whatever unseen forces are governing the world, unbeknownst to any of us. And those unseen forces feel no need to come out and explain themselves. So in that sense, I found myself being able to skate past the silliness and direness of the premise fairly quickly and just throw myself into their shoes and think, what would I do? If I were handed the power to save or damn the entire rowdy lot of humanity, what would I do? What experiences in my own life would I base that decision on? What feelings would I evoke? Would I ultimately do any better than any of the self-appointed guardians of our lives that rule this world, many of whom are appointed by birth and generational wealth to those positions in the first place? Would I ultimately be better than any of them? That is what this movie forced me to ponder. Even if it did it in the silliest way possible, it still succeeded in doing that. 
Dave Bautista is outstanding in this film. Uh, Groff and Aldridge are also very good. I think there were several missed opportunities in all of these performances. Because none of these characters had any agency about what was going on, they had a difficult time expressing much of an opinion about what was going on. Andrew, in particular, is a human rights attorney, and I feel like there could have been an interesting discussion there about what he had to say about whether humanity deserves survival, because this is someone who investigates war crimes and helps prosecute war criminals. At least that's what was heavily implied. They keep it nice and vague as to what it was that he was doing. But human rights lawyer is somebody who is simultaneously prone to uh, being a misanthrope and being an optimist, because ultimately there is a lot of suffering in this world, and he is on the side of trying to improve the world in some way. Even though he feels as if the world has dealt him a raw deal in many ways, he still loves his family, he loves his husband, he loves his daughter, and he only wants to keep them safe. And when he announces at the onset of this film that he would watch the entire world die ten times over before allowing any member of his family to come to harm, that is a feeling that I found intensely relatable. But it's also a feeling that reeked of denial, denial of the situation and denial of the reality of the apocalyptic events that were descending upon them. And that is something that ultimately the character had to get past because the reality of the apocalypse becomes apparent before too long. So that is what you get in this film. Just like five people in the elevator and one of them is the devil, you know the truth of this will be revealed by the end. And these performers are completely committed to it. And M. Night Shyamalan is the guy that you bring on for intense, silly, dire nonsense that will nonetheless rope you in. And he will always appear in the film in some inconsequential cameo. In this case, he shows up as a QVC host selling an air fryer. So that is Knock at the Cabin, a film that I would definitely recommend you check out, uh, if you, particularly if you liked uh, M. Night Shyamalan's most recent film, Old. Uh, it takes a similarly silly premise and completely commits to it and does some mildly interesting things with it. I didn't like it quite as much as Old, uh, but I did like it overall. I would say that most of us ponder the apocalypse from a place of powerlessness with a side of main character syndrome. We didn't cause this thing, but we'll be we'll be like John Cusack in the movie 2012, riding a limousine through the untold destruction before arriving at some new Eden, where we're miraculously one of the survivors. Even if in our intellectual minds we know that after the credits roll, a single dire winter or famine or infected broken bone might finish us off, we still think of ourselves as one of the ones who will ultimately survive. And this movie does not allow you that level of escapism. It flat out says, you are directly implicated in this apocalypse and you are the one who decides who lives or dies. And in that sense, it is a fascinating experience. Knock at the Cabin is in theaters now. Tune in next week for our review of After Sun and another title to be determined. And check out The Glennies, the top 10 films of 2022, are now up on filmwalk.net. Thank you for tuning in at filmwalk.net and have a good night.